This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time for bookings. Kia ora. welcome to Bookends with Moran Rout and Ruth Todd. And uh, I missed the first programme in here in the studio, but it's lovely to be back, Moran. And wonderful to have you. We've got heaps of good books already I know. starting to appear, so mm. it's going to be a, a bumper year, I think. And this one, uh, I'm talking about Elizabeth Smithers' latest collection of poetry, My American Chair, but uh, that was sitting in December and I just couldn't fit it in, so she accepted very graciously that it would could wait till January. Well, good poetry is it's, timeless, it's, isn't it? Exactly. Yes. And the same with the books I'm um, talking, or the writer I'm talking to today, Sue Hazelwood, who's written books about her garden, you know, her passion for food and entertaining, and about the children's book she's written that combines food and uh, a very entertaining tale. Two colourful and enticing cookbooks, one for children and their parents, arrived in my letterbox just before Christmas. They're the work of Sue Hazelwood, who lives in Ahoka on the beautiful property Tanglebee. This has been the inspiration for these books and provides Sue with the opportunity to indulge her passions, gardening, cooking and writing. Welcome to the show, Sue. Thank you so much, Moran. I think we should start by finding out about Tangleby, the garden and the house, and how you came to find it. Uh, It was 2015. I had just um, become divorced, and my eldest son, Adam, who's a real estate agent, decided to help me find a property. Um, He was thinking it would be a townhouse with a courtyard, but that was never going to happen. So while I was away in Sydney, he gave me a phone call and said, Mum, I have found the perfect house for you. And when I saw the pictures with the size of the kitchen, I flew straight home and signed up and owned the property straight away. And the fact it was on uh, 5,500 square metres allowed me to have the blank canvas ready to um, create the garden I'd always wanted to have. Well, you certainly have... (laughs) got stuck in. I, you know, the books, uh, you know, have these wonderful photographs of the garden and um, mainly of the food, but you, in the background you can see what what you've done in that last, how many, seven years? Uh, it's only five, the garden's only mm. five years old. It took really? quite a lot of planning. Um, I had Debbie Rimmer, she um, helped with the structure with the hedges and things, and then I just went mad with growing seeds and new plants in my glasshouse. I grow about 15,000 a year um, of annuals. So um, I'm pretty proud of it. We've brought in a lot of established um, trees, but it's a, it's a pretty stunning place now. Yeah, it's lovely. Well, Ahoka is known for its gardens, so is, you've just, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've just added, added to it. <laughs> added to it, exactly. And back in, in your early days, you had six children under six. That must have required some pretty extraordinary skills in managing. Um, I'm a fairly organised person. Um, 
And I had six amazing kids. They're just fantastic. But I do remember getting on flights with all eight of us and people looking sideways, thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be a flight from hell. It never, ever was. The kids were so well behaved, and hence the reason we were able to travel a lot with them and do as many things with them as we were. So those travels gave you inspiration for gardens, for cooking, for food. Absolutely. No, we did a, um, a four-month trip around Europe with all the all the kids when they were a lot younger, and seeing what I saw in Italy and everything was a huge inspiration. It was just absolutely mind-blowing. So your love of gardening, you know, is obviously matched with your love of, of um, food and entertaining because it's, you know, it's one thing to, <laughs> to garden on your own and enjoy what you've what you've um, created and what you've produced. It's another thing to cook all these wonderful, you know, dishes, but it's nice to be able to share it. Oh, it is. It's lovely. It's a bit of a trifecta, really, because I grow a lot of um, edibles. Um, So I'm out in the garden every afternoon getting what we're going to have for dinner. Um, So it sort of goes hand in hand. So you've got lovely areas in the garden for entertaining, depending on the weather, of course. Um, But it just gives people that do come um, a really lovely experience, I think. And that's what I've always wanted to do. Yeah. 15,000 seedlings I read in your book. Yes, is that right? It is indeed. <laughs> uh, I can't go anywhere in August. August is four full weeks of planting. I've got a huge glass house, so, um, and I've just done my, my last wee amount of seedlings ready for the late summer garden, but I uh, know it's a lot of fun. It's very rewarding seeing what you've taken from seed and see them flowering in the garden. It's wonderful. And it gives you an opportunity also to have um, a different colour scheme on different areas in the garden whenever you want to. Yes, mm. you just think, I this needs to go purple or yeah, this been needs blue to this go year. red. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a blue year, it's been has a blue, it? Oh, it's been lovely and cooling. It's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> so where did the inspiration for um, writing these books come from? Uh, well, when I did the landscaping five years ago, I did build a very elaborate playhouse thinking I was going to have a lot of grandchildren, but it has taken a wee while. We got our first one... Uh, last year, he, Charlie's just turned nine months old. Um, but when I was busy decorating the playhouse, it sort of my head sort of turned to the love of Peter Rabbit my children had. And yes. I thought, you know, I can just imagine animals moving here and having a wonderful time and growing their own vegetables and, you know, having little disasters here and there and everything. So, um, yeah, I just started writing at that point. Um, and it all came together fairly well, I think. <laughs> Yes. Well, we're talking about, we're referring to Tales of Tangleby Gardens, and Tales, of course, is T-A-I-L-S. Yes, indeed. (laughs) They are the other kind of tales as well. Um, Have you always written? Have you always told stories? No, I have never had the time. It's now my time to actually follow my passion. And that is cooking, writing's lovely. I just love little people. And the fact I have a little person in my life now um, is wonderful. And he gets such a lot of enjoyment out of that garden when I push him around in the stroller. Um, He's just in awe of everything. It's just um, amazing what's happening now in my life. It's lovely. Oh, that's good Mm. because, you know, the book Tales of Tangleby Gardens is about... um, a group of animals coming together and discovering mm. this lovely garden and making their home there. So have you got rabbits in your garden? Because most people don't want rabbits in the garden. Oh, there's the odd one, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we have the odd rabbit, hedgehog, frogs. Um, there's a few few 
And I do have quite a few ragdoll cats. So three of the characters in the children's book are actually my own cats. So Louie, Molly and Martha are my own cats, yes. (laughs) Tell me about ragdoll cats. Oh, they're amazing. They're not scared of anything. They're just um, so cuddly. Oh, they're just wonderful things. They really, really are. They're supposed to be an indoor cat, I believe. Mine certainly wouldn't tolerate being an indoor cat with the garden. But um, no, they're fantastic. Really good breed of cat. Mm. And very pretty because they're, very they're brown pretty. and white, aren't yes, they? Yes, yes, yes. Smudgy brown and white. Yeah, Molly and Martha are just absolutely stunning. They're um, sisters and they are just such beautiful little cats. Yeah, they're lovely. So what came first for you? The Telling the, ta- the children's tales and, and weaving in the recipes or were you always thinking of doing... It was, always, it was always going to be that. I always wanted the photography and then the animals coming in. I always looked at children's cookbooks and a lot of them, they've drawn the food and I can't see any inspiration for a child to even consider learning to cook um, with a, a drawn recipe. So um, I wanted to make it as grown up as I could, add in the story so hopefully they can read a chapter or mum and dad read them a chapter at night and then the next day they decide, oh, we're going to make that, the recipe that was in that chapter. So there's 40 recipes in there, so there's plenty of scope. Um, and each recipe has been graded by how many tomatoes there are at the start of the recipe. So one tomato is very easy, going through to three, which is a bit bit of experience required. <laughs> yes. So they're recipes you've chosen that can be made, you know, by parents or caregivers together with the children. They are. And when the children are a bit older, they'll, be, they'll have no trouble making those themselves. Are your children good cooks? Very. Especially my girls. By golly, they're good. <laughs> so they grew up cooking with you? Uh, yes. They, they grew up with mum being a major foodie. Yeah, yes. They had a menu written on the backsplash every night, that sort of thing. So yeah. they would also get um, a menu on a Sunday night for their school lunches. So they would have a choice of three options per day. Crikey. Yeah. What a well-organised mother you were. Um, <laughs> no wonder they are good. And... Um, so the recipes, uh, as you say, you've you've gone for some old favourites like fairy bread and um, and you know various slices and cakes that we all we all um, know and love. Um, but there's some more. There's some vegetarian ones in there mm-hmm. for for um, for that option. Yes, absolutely. No, I think there's a there's a good variety of recipes in there. There's forty in all, so there's plenty of um, choice there for for the kids to decide what they'd like to make. So, as you said, the food is photographed, so it's very enticing. But also, you've worked with an illustrator, Jane Smith, mm. on this. How did you find Jane? Um, I actually went to an agent that um, represents artists, and Jane came along, and her husband, Neil, um, is a photographer. They live in Mapua, so Neil does all the photography for me, and Jane does the illustrations, and she has been a breath of fresh air to work with. She's absolutely amazing, as you can see by the illustrations. Yes, they're lovely. Oh, it's yeah. just it's just been a wonderful combination of getting the right people together that are artistic and um, just really want the best for these books. It's been really amazing. Yes, because the photographs of the of the food in in the children's book um, are sort of. There's, there's illustrations that are part of the photographs as well. So we've got the little animals, um, invo- you know, overlaid mm. really onto onto the photographs. Yes, yeah. Well, I wanted to make it as as real as possible with um, 
the animals actually cooking the food, eating the food, and you know being part of the whole um, process. Yeah. And there's a there's a mean character in there. It's Uncle Wilson, isn't it? Yes, Who's cousin Wilson. Cousin yeah. Wilson. I always feel you have to have a wee baddie in there somewhere. Oh, he's a <laughs> he's a mean, mean critter. And he and his wife, who um, Lady May, mm. um, I get the impression from the end of the book that um, there are more tales to come. The next. Tales of Tingleby is now being illustrated by Jane Smith. It takes her 12 months to do a book, so it will be out in the winter. Very and good. It's, it's, I'm pretty proud of this next one. It involves Larnock Castle. It involves Kaikoura. It's a really amazing one. So the animals are travelling. Oh, they're getting around. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and more food. So let's look at a table at Tingleby because this is for adults. Um, and it's a lavish book. It's big. It's handsome. It's got fabulous photos all through. And you've chosen to do it seasonally. Yes, yes I have. Mainly because of the fact I do have an edible garden and I do love to eat and cook seasonally because there's nothing nicer than having that beautiful asparagus in the spring, um, you know, with a lovely spring lamb dish or, you know, some of those um, nice baking gift style Christmas goodies, that sort of thing. So I'm a very seasonal cook. Mm. So... What are what are some of your summer favourites for people listening in? <laughs> uh, definitely the pan-fried Cajun fish fillets with the mango salsa. So that is like summer on a plate. And if you ask the boys in my family, they'll say my pork ribs with a sarsaparilla barbecue sauce. Sarsaparilla was something, it was a treat when I was a child, and I thought, I'm actually going to give that a go. And it was still available. You can still buy it in the supermarket. And um, that barbecue sauce on those ribs is absolutely lip-smacking. It is amazing. Great. So, what next for you? You're off to promote the book? Yes, I'm going around New Zealand for the next five weeks, um, going through to Europe later on for, for seven weeks, doing a bit of an inspirational tour to try and get some great ideas, um, some new ideas, because I am partway through another book, um, which is Everyday Easy Meals. So there is another table at Tangleby coming out in the autumn, and there'll be another one um the beginning of next year. Um, but I've also purchased um, my neighbour's property next door, subdivided off the house, so I've got another 5,500 square metres of garden to develop. Sue, you're indomitable. So how can people get hold of these books? Uh, if you just go to tangleby.co.nz, you can buy them online. Um, as of today, I've got a whole lot of merchandise arrived in the country that's um, all Tangleby orientated, so uh, kitchen gadgets and things, some beautiful digital thermometers, all those sorts of things. Um, or even follow me on Facebook, there'll be um, updates on new recipes, competitions, lots of stuff for the kids. We've done a whole lot of crafting and things for the kids, so that's um, Facebook's just Tangleby Gardens. Great. Well, look out for A Table at Tangleby and Tales of Tangleby Gardens, both written and produced by Sue Hazelwood. You're listening to Bookends on Plains FM 96.9. Silla McQueen and myself are the two shortest New Zealand Poets Laureate and this was, uh, I was watching Silla writing on the balcony of a motel I was standing underneath Silla writing we are the shortest laureates but this afternoon Silla almost touches the sky 
writing on her motel balcony two stories up. Her head in its peaked cap, her pen uh, outlined in a strange significant shadow, a little laureate traced by Ruwald, and in the shadows a shorter laureate watching, admiring her application, her sky writing. The day moon is there, the blinding sun. Her neck grows warm, her neat head bends over the page. She stretches her arms and seems to frown and squint. It is words, you clown, the other laureate thinks. Not sun in her eyes, not pain of thought, but heart and pen at work again. That is Elizabeth Smither reading from her new volume of poetry and a delightful poem written to her good friend and uh, both the shortest laureates. I didn't know that till I read it in this poem and uh, that was uh, reading Scylla writing. Elizabeth Smither has written six novels, six collections of short stories and 18 poetry collections. Elizabeth, welcome to the programme. That's an amazing um legacy that you are writing for us to keep and uh, you know I love your poems and I love your short stories and uh, this was tell me about this one because this one was um, a a joint production wasn't it? Yes it uh, sort of happened quite unexpectedly Um, Cassandra Atherton who is a professor in Australia um, wrote and asked if I she told me she had permission to publish three Australasian poets um, uh, with an American press called Mad Hat and so she asked if I'd like to be one of them and I didn't really have a collection quite really at the time and they wanted quite a big collection they wanted about 100 pages of text so so I I thought I must do this so I um, I went ahead and did it um, greatly assisted by Elizabeth Caffin of course who put it in order for me well, 70 poems, aren't there, in this book? I think it's around 70, 75, and uh, that's, a, that's a bigger volume than you usually publish, isn't it? Yes, it is. And uh, But I think perhaps one of these things that works in its favour is that a lot of them are written more or less at the same time, so there's probably a connection with... Yes, 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 there are. And Elizabeth Caffin is the ideal person, isn't she? You don't like putting your poems in order, do you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm really bad at it. I I remember trying once to put some poems in order for a collection, and I spread them all out on a bed, a big double bed, and had them, and then the cat jumped in the window and, and skidded all over them, and I thought, I just give up. <laughs> I, I'm honestly not good at it. I, you know, um, and Elizabeth finds connections that I, I can't really see where she gets them from. But they are perfect when she finds them. Yes, it's always been her strength, hasn't it, right from mm. the beginning. So, um, Joint publishers, do you just use your usual routine when you're preparing for this, something like this? Yes, I just did the manuscript, sent it to Cassandra, and she did most of the work. And, and also Sam Elworthy at Auckland University Press, who co-published it, was extraordinarily helpful and, and good. Can you tell, tell, tell me about your usual routine? Because it's quite simple and yet it's very intense. I imagine. Well, I have a sort of a, um, a routine um, of writing poetry about once a week. I like to have a session. I, I don't think I could write poems every day, but um, 
by the end of a week, I'm often feeling I want to write something. And I usually, um, I really like to sit up in bed, on top of the bed, um, propped up by a whole lot of pillows with a whole lot of books, poetry books around me, which I dip into. And I usually have a concert program on as well. And um, and then I, <laughs> then I start scratching away in my um, unlined white exercise book. And... Um, and I often write about five poems in the, you know, I write very quickly because I'm always trying to do everything at once. I, I sort of feel I want to get everything down and all the combinations of poetry, which are not just the subject, which is a dicey word to use, but, um, but the language, the rhythms, the musicality, the images, which just arise when you're writing. And then, of course, I, I go back and, um, you know, revise and, and write. sometimes when I can't find the right word and I'm writing quickly, I put a question mark under the word I've used as a substitute and will go back and, and refine it. Um, and I cross through a lot of poems. I, you know, when, I, when they're not working, I just run a big line through them. Because uh, you've got plenty more. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. But sometimes you write a poem too soon. The, the, the uh, things in it haven't quite come together for you. And, and some of the the better poems poets write, I think, are often connected to something in the past, perhaps a memory, or a, um, and then it's connected also to something that's contemporary, and you get the two things joining together to, to make something that's the third thing. So let's have another poem. Mm-hmm. Should I do the one about the dry cleaners? <laughs> yes, yes, I like that one. <laughs> Yes, this, this was in, set in London and, and then in Paris. And um, I went to a, a dry cleaner that was quite near where I was staying. And I was very impressed by this darling little girl that was in the shop. She was like a little shepherdess. She was so gentle and sweet. And I thought, how can a little girl like this survive in a big city like London? Anyway, I guess, so I took my thing to her. Dry cleaners, London and Paris. A little girl, like a shepherdess, receives my knit top with a tomato stain and returns the docket Tuesday. On Tuesday, it's hanging on a hanger, the spot shrunk but still visible. I can't complain to a shepherdess who has lost one stain but carries its ghost in her demeanour like a lost lamb. I take it to another dry cleaner. In Paris, the spot is onion soup. Briskly, it is frowned over. One week to remove it, madame, not sooner. It will take a special discovery of benzene, an accident like tartan, and rows of girls in chemises sweating over garments in poor ventilation. No wonder we should sniff at improvements in Paris and failure in London. That's delightful. I, the wit in all your poems, especially this collection, I found lots of good humour and wit. Um, it's always there, but there seems to be more in this volume. Maybe it's because there are more poems, I'm not sure. But uh, yeah. I, I love that. And, and you just seem to be able to express it, your metaphor, your rhythms. You just seem to have the exact right words all the time. So um, thank you for that. I know that lots of people, is, it's what they enjoy about your poetry. And then you don't write long, long poems ever, do you? So I have in the past written a longish, some very long poems. Oh, I think have it was you? a long time ago. 
Um, yes, I, yes I, do, I would like to write some long poems occasionally, but in, with a very long poem, there is the problem of retaining the reader's attention, of course, and um, making it interesting and variable and so forth. Yes, um, and I go away and I can almost remember all the words, you know, to myself, so I sort of enjoy it twice. <laughs> mm. Once I've read it and then when um, it's in my head, I can... Um, you know, tell somebody else about it. I can even quote it sometimes. But um, I, I think we're, um, you know, you're, you're talking about doing another novella. Is that right? I'm talking about um, writing four novellas. And, yes. Um, oh. Which is, I think is an interesting length, isn't it? It's a, you know, it's, yes, I like it's them. It's a lo- lovely length, actually. Mm. Uh, it has its own problems and, <laughs> and things to work out as you're doing it, of course. Um, because every form has its own, I don't know, it's not exactly strictures, but it has its own almost philosophy or something, and you you enter it and you and it presses back at you. It says, this this is how it works, this is how the length I am, this is what I can say and how I can say it. Let's have another poem. I want, we haven't got much time yet left, but I'd quite like to have two more, so one now and one at the end. Okay. Well, this is just something I heard that someone told, and I thought it was really funny. Because when I was in Paris, I was staying in a hotel, I think, and opposite were the fire brigade. It was the fire brigade. It was very handsome, sapeur pompier, walking around in their uniforms, great big tall people, and they looked so attractive. Anyway, this is a funny story, and it's definitely true. The joke of the sapeur pompier. A lady hoping to hire a van for her family phoned the wrong number and got the fire station, but so intent on speaking French and impressing her daughters who were hovering, Monsieur, I need a vehicle that can seat six with room for quantities of luggage. The voice that answered was deep and masculine and full of concern and savoir-faire. We could send one of our smaller fire engines, but perhaps the ladder truck would be more suitable. Now, if you'll give me your street and arrondissement, the phone fell shaking into the cradle. A fire engine might be coming at any moment. Sirens blazing, handsome pompier, and even a fire dog roaring past, laughing and barking. Run, she said to her daughters, and they fled round the corner and into a cafe. Next day, she went to a car hire company. <laughs> That's a delightful one too. So, um, is there a short one I can fill in? Fit in? Well, perhaps I could read "Nighttime Words to Ruby." Maybe we can do oh, that. Oh yes, in a that's minute. a delightful one to your granddaughter. Yes, mm. yes. "Nighttime Words to Ruby." I hold you in my arms and say, "Beautiful girl, beautiful girl." You do not want to go to bed. Instead, you say you're instructed to lie between your mother and father like a bolster and wait for them to slide inside. I see the fresh sheets and the pillows, the throw lane diagonally across, the quiet dark against the curtains, the hush of a lamp, intimacy after someone's wedding party. Your bunk seems so high, aloof as a tower, and later when I check on you, You've half disrobed and put on your sleep mask. The duvet is slewed across your body. Beautiful girl, beautiful girl in your tower, not far from the ceiling which you could reach. I am bringing something I do not know down to you in my embrace, an angel's wingtip. 
the first air movement of A Visitation of Coming and Forever Grace. Beautiful girl, beautiful girl. Elizabeth Smither reading from her latest collection, My American Chair, and it's published, jointly published, by Auckland University Press and Deakin University in the States. And join us, Moran Rout and Ruth Todd, next Tuesday on Bookends on Plains FM 96.9.